My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 106 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! Hooray! We made it! 106 episodes! <laughs> seems like a, it seems like a good number. I like the number. Yo, I... It, it's hard because it's like enough that it's notable, but it's not like a significant number yet. Like I feel like when we're at like one twenty five, it's like, all right, now we're getting some Wow, now we're real. We've achieved yeah. realness. It's optimum realness. It does suck. That I listen to like three or four podcasts whose claim to fame is that they've been doing it forever. So I'm over here like, yo, I'm at 106. I feel so good. And then I'll tune into something and I'll be like, episode four hundred and ninety eight. And I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of eps. Well, and you know I mean? and some people, we're still, as folks know, we still haven't figured out twice a month, and yet there are people out here doing it weekly. That's a that's a thing. People do it weekly, Josh. Yeah, I don't know if I could talk about movies weekly though, because I don't see enough to necessitate a weekly show on what I watch. Uh, I I don't know. I think you could. I think the the limitation to doing it weekly is that um, a we would probably have to do some episodes where we talk about stuff like more recent stuff as well as dive into old stuff. And mm-hmm. B, we could just limit the subject matter on the show. Like today we're doing two movies. We could do one movie an episode and it would be fine. Yeah. No, that's true. You're not wrong. You know? You're not incorrect. And, but and, wait. and I don't think we'd have to – I just, because we don't talk about anything, y'all know, other than whacking on track, we don't – hit y'all with news you know what i mean like this isn't like yeah we don't we don't break any stories yeah so like if we spent one day in a month we could record four episodes honestly but it's just hard to find the time to do like every time we record it's always like all right we're squeezing in here and then i gotta be somewhere you know what i mean we'd have to like really find a day where we both were like even to do two episodes like where we had the time to just sit and do it you know yeah it would require like four hours of like open time which you know I don't even do drugs very often because I don't have that kind of time. You know what I mean? Like, if I had time to bliss out and, like, eat a bunch of marijuana or something and then just sit there and watch, like, movies for hours, I would totally do it. But I can't. I just don't have the time. Don't have the kind of time. But it's not important. That's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. So, but Liam. Yes? When we record these shows. Yes? What kind of people do you think we support? Well, I mean, I, we do such things. I mean, I think the first people that really are a part of this process are all of our supporters on Patreon. And the uh, Patreons. I, I know Justin Justin mentioned it on the most recent horror business. I know you guys have some secret project you're working on. We're not going to announce it here, but uh, I know you're working on something for the Patreon. I know we were just talking about some ideas for the Patreon. So those of you who are on the Patreon, thank you for being on there. We're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to uh, to give you something special soon. If you're not on the Yo, Patreon, 2020. 2020 is the year that you're going to get some sick Patreon content. Oh, totally, but. For those of you who aren't on the Patreon, hey, look, here's a deal. If you get on the Patreon, then A, you're going to know that we love you and we appreciate your support of us. B, eventually we're going to send you stuff. I got some shirts. I got some random movies. I got other stuff. And if you're on the Patreon and you haven't gotten your stuff yet and you want your stuff, just hit us up. I got you. It's all good. B... We're going to have some sick content up there. I mean, we've already got three really good things up there, but we got some more stuff coming, and you're going to want to hear it. So you really need to get on that Patreon so you can be part of the Cool Kid Club. Yeah, Cool Kid Club. It's a good time. 
Maybe we'll make a cool kid club pin and just send it out. Just be like, you're part of the Secret Explorer Club or something. So, but Liam, if if we wanted to get sweet, cool kid club uh, t-shirts made, uh, where would we go? Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Look, uh, don't, excellent. don't let the fact that Chris Reject is some sort of demented carnival barker slash total con man fool you. Uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations is the best screen printer Probably in the world, but definitely in the Lehigh Valley. Probably in the world, maybe, but definitely in the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> so look, you, we know you got a thing. We have a we have our super secret special kid spy club thing. God damn it! Uh, but maybe you that was awful. Yeah, that was terrible. I, it's whatever. But maybe maybe you have a band. Maybe you have a D and D club maybe you have a podcast maybe you are a soundcloud rapper whatever it is maybe you have a bunch of koozies and they're just blank and you're thinking we should put something on these koozies (laughs) 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 whatever it is x lvac x.com okay that's it that's all we're gonna say about all right that's good yep go to them (laughs) tell the punk sent you so it's been a while y'all i uh i was in San Francisco for 10 days. So many days. 10 days. Uh, oh, my God. And it was so long since we've had a chance to talk that I kind of forgot. What do we do next, Josh? There's like a thing that we do. I don't know. It seems weird that we're both in the same time zone yeah. again. And like, you know, it's about uh, that time. It's the time for a certain segment. Yeah, called... Liam, yes. what is that segment called? Ooh, it's called... Uh... Oh, yeah. Whack, Whack it on track! <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. My throat's a little bit shredded. And that is because recently one of the on-track things that I've done is I had finished the vocals last night at Mr. Vince Harvcore's house for my new hardcore band, The Sing Kill. And uh, finish the vocals for the final track. So hopefully the four-track EP or demo or whatever you're going to call it is going to be coming out soon. So that was something that I've done recently that was very much on track. I'm going to start a petition for our fans to uh, have you not do any more new bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably fair because I probably shouldn't start any more bands. But it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. So other stuff that I've done that is on track. Last weekend was the beginning of a little uh, series of movies happening at the Anthology Film Archives in New York City, where me and my lovely wife, Melani went to. The, um, the series is called... Uh, hold on, what is it called? It's called um, The Devil Probably, A Century of Satanic Panic. And it went from late January to the end of February. And uh, Melani and I went there for an evening of the early movies. Like they had a bunch of it. The whole movie starts. Uh, it started with Haksan from 1922. And then um, the church of Satan did like a, a black mass. And uh, the dude who runs that thing was, uh, was there and he did a speech on Satanism and all that stuff. So basically it's a film series that they're doing at the uh, anthology film archives on Satan and movies. So uh, we went for the silent movie night. Like the, the night that we went was Sunday and it was kind of like the kickoff event. So we saw four movies. We saw Dante's Inferno from 1911. We saw uh, The Red Spectre from 1907. And then we saw Rhapsodia Satanica, which was like a retelling of the Faust tale. And that was from 1917. And then we saw 
The Sorrows of Satan, which was by D.W. Griffith, and that was from uh, 1926. And uh, it was a really interesting night of movie because they were all shown on film, and um, it was uh, like two of the prints were on 16 millimeter, and the other two were on 35. But I had never gone to a movie experience where it was a silent movie without score like without a piano jauntily playing in the background or like some other thing happening it was literally dead silence in the theater and it wasn't empty which i would have assumed like oh yeah silent movies from the 20s and the early aughts no one's coming it wasn't empty like there were a bunch of people there and it was totally dead silent for these movies that were each like uh, about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes long Never had that experience before, and it was awesome. Definitely did that. Uh, It was cool watching a bunch of silent movies on Satan. Um, That uh, Satana Satana Rhapsodia was was really, really interesting. I mean, they all were really interesting. They were all really fun, you know what I mean? Like, but... um, I definitely think Satan's Sorrow was my favorite one. And, um, you know, it was all just movies about the devil. So I totally, me and Melanie did that in New York City, and it was dope. Oh, yeah, and the other revelation that I had about New York City is that I really do love the culture there. Like, all, like, the fun things that happen in New York City. Like, I like going to New York for shows and all that stuff. But uh, everything else sucks. Just saying. Wait, you're just figuring out that New York sucks? I'm just now being like, oh, yeah, nobody here is happy. No, and, no one. Uh, yeah, everything is too expensive. But they have these sick movie retrospectives and stuff like that about the devil and, like, fun shows and bands and all that stuff. Like, that stuff's all really cool. It is so, It um, is the, 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 the weird thing about New York is that because of the population density, everything that is cool happens there. Like, they have... If you like a certain kind of food, it's in New York. If you like a certain kind of cultural event, it happens in New York. Like because of the de- I mean it's so many people, you can do anything there and someone will show up. Now, that doesn't mean all those movie theaters are doing well. Like I think a lot of them are actually struggling right now cuz even in New York, you're not getting enough people to like keep the doors open necessarily. Um but still, it's not a total waste of time whereas a lot of the things that happen in New York, if you tried them other places, just, you're just not going to get enough definitely people. not work yeah yeah definitely wouldn't work yeah for sure but um but it was awesome that was a really fun night have you ever been to the anthology film archive for anything? i've wanted to go so many times i think it seems really cool i keep an eye on their schedule and i've just never been able to make the effort especially because it's silly because i'm as close to new york as i am to philly so i could just get there but it's actually hard to make the time you know i have trouble getting to the movie theater that's 10 minutes from my house so i get it yeah but, so going all the way to new york city for a bunch of other movies might be not as easy for i've, I I've done it for some other places but just not anthology film archive yet and i think that's sort of like the bias you know how like we both really like uh all kinds of challenging and interesting film but sometimes when you're tired and at home you're more likely to put on something silly and fun than you are to be like Oh, let's put on Satantango, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's going to be something like, well, let's just watch Big Trouble Little China again, I guess. Yeah, man, absolutely. I definitely get that. Are you are you down with Bellatar like that? I mean, I am very interested in Bellatar. I've seen the Turin Horse, I think, because I remember when it came to the Philly Film Fest. But as far as like down, down, no, no, no. I just know that Satantango, Satantango, however you say it, is seven and a half hours long. Well, that it's available. It's on Criterion Channel right now, and uh, it's coming out on Blu-ray, which I don't think it has before in its full length. So I'm very interested in it. But do I want to sit there for seven some hours? 
Uh, I actually this is so this is the irony of that. I think I could do better with that in a theater. Like I think in a yeah, theater, no. even though you can't pause it, that's still easier for me than if I'm at home and I, we're an hour in and I'm not into it. I might look at my phone. I might get some laundry to fold. I might pause it and not come back to it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? I get that. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. and it is screening somewhere in the Philadelphia region though coming up because yeah. me and Melani were talking about going. So yeah. uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. It seems like a long time, but I'm in. I'm in. I I would rather us pick a day and watch it in a home together and just like order pizza or something. You know what I mean? But I think honestly, the only way that I know we'll get through it is if we went to a theater. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, once yeah, you're yeah. at the theater, it's hard to be like, all right, I guess I'll take a dinner break or you know. What yeah. I mean? it's, or like, well, there's supposedly at the screen that they're doing, they're going to be two two um two breaks. Yeah. So there's there's like a 30 minute one and a 45 minute one. So, yeah. hey man, I get it. We should show up with like lunch pails, like yeah. 1920s iron workers. Yeah. It's like, yep, yeah, about to do the shift and like have a I cigar. Got my, and a hard I got my stuff. liverwurst sandwich. Hey guys, <laughs> like I brought a, the liverwurst. And, a th- and like a thermos filled with like coffee and stuff. That'd be cool. Specifically, uh, in like Sanka would be the. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, the no, good that's not right. Sanka's like in the 60s and 70s i'm mixing it all up look old white people stuff all right that's all i know right 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 and don't make fun of the old white coffee old white people coffee <laughs> okay what you two will be old and weak one day that's the joke that's the joke hey what else um so those are the things i did that was on track um whack we uh have to mourn the loss of uh, a couple musicians but uh, Mr. Vinny Value of Gray oh, Area and Warzone yeah. fame passed away last week, and that was a I know you're a serious a, bummer. A big Gray Area fan too. Yes, I am. I am, and I mean, like you know, it's funny because it's like we got the news, and it was like super, it made me sad because it made me think of um, times when um, Gray Area was just coming out, and I still lived in North Jersey, and he was one of the few people that always talked to me every time I went and saw them, and it was like I'll tell you a story. So Gray Area played at the M&M Hall in Old Bridge. And um, at the time, you know, I was dealing with whatever, just being like out there by myself and feeling alone and just sad all the time, you know? Yeah. And um, they they played and I was so pumped and I just kind of stood at the front of the stage and sung along to all the stuff. And uh, at the end of the set, while they were packing up, Vinny came up to me and he was like, hey man, my name is Vinny. And I was like, I'm Josh. And he was like, hey, I've been watching you sing every single word to every single song we played tonight, man. Thanks for listening. And I was like, yeah, man, you guys make me feel happy. And like, it was like one of those weird like conversations that I'm sure like just these passing moments of kindness that don't really register for anybody else. But for me, it was a moment that actually like spoke to a comfort and a truth that I find in participating in hardcore punk. And it definitely made me feel like a million bucks that night, you know? Mm -hmm. So to hear of his passing was definitely uh, a sad thing. So that was very whack, not pleasant. So that's what I got. How about you, Liam? What'd you do that was on track and or whack? Well, as I said, I went to San Francisco. That was uh, a first time for me. Um, I haven't really talked about it on the show much, but me and Suze are in this like new faith community certificate program thing. So we went to San Francisco to uh, for this class, uh, but the class is four slash kind of five days. So we went five days out. Uh, really, the travel day doesn't really count. So uh, four days out, so that we could see the city. Suze has never been to California ever, uh, and I had never been to. Wow. I had never been to San Francisco. I've been to LA and San Diego a few times, but never up to San Francisco. So 
it was cool. It was cool seeing a new place. Got to check out a lot of record stores and bookstores. Um, we Did went, you get to go to like Gilman Street or any of that stuff? We didn't get across the bay at all. Uh, that was one of the things we wanted to do. We had planned a day where we were going to go to Oakland for brunch and then head over, head over to Berkeley and check it out. And um, the reality was that was the day that some of our friends came into town. And so we ended up hanging out with them instead. So that's fine. It's whatever. Um, but good friends from college, Joel and Rhea, I got to see them and Joel Tarman, um, people I went to college with. And then I also got to see friend of the show, friends of the show, Cami and Clint. And that was fun. They drove up from Palo Alto. Um, I love them so much. Uh, and the, the first part of the trip, we were staying in the mission and that was awesome. Um, the mission's really great, and we went to that Alamo that's there twice. Went and nice. went and took Suze to see Uncut Gems because she hadn't gotten to see it yet, uh, and it was just as good the second time. Finally saw Star Wars. Didn't like it. Didn't like. Didn't <laughs> like the Star Wars. It just was not into it. There are parts of it that are awesome, but as you know, when a movie has a few awesome parts and then other parts that I hate, then I don't. It almost makes the awesome parts more frustrating it's like when you're listening to a band and the band is sick but then the vocals are total trash and then you're like i can't listen to this even though it's sick because i hate these vocals that's how i felt about the star wars movie there was enough in there that made me mad that the fact that like i think some of the action scenes are actually pretty good i think some of the uh some of the choices are pretty good but the whole first part of the movie feels stupid if it's too rushed it doesn't make sense I think the inclusion of the Emperor wasn't cool at all. And I think there's a lot of decisions that are made that are literally like, what did incels not like about Last Jedi? Let's change that for this movie. And I didn't like that. I thought it was stupid. I mm. uh, It kind of made me mad. And so some of the parts I did like were kind of washed out by that, even though you know they were still pretty awesome you know they were they still had their own their own value so uh, it's a mixed bag i definitely think it's not the worst you know people who are saying it's worse than the prequels are stupid mean people um the the prequels are trash and liking the prequels makes you a bad person but um <laughs> but is it as good as i think uh any of the original trilogy no no, and I don't even like Return no. of the Jedi yeah. like that. But it's definitely I'll take Return of the Jedi over this movie any day of the week. So I love Jedi. I don't give a fuck. I you know I don't hate it, but I it's definitely not as good as the other two of the original three. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Point being, saw it. Finally made it time to see it. It was like our we had spent a whole day out watering the city, and we were just tired. So we're like, let's do dinner and a movie, literally, which is one of the benefits of an Alamo is that you could just go to the theater. You could do both at one time. Yeah, the it's literally the one stone that kills all those birds. Oh yeah, and so we actually saw four movies while we were out there because then we went to. Um, a different theater and I saw Parasite again because Suze had not gotten oh, to see Parasite so yet. Good. She was so nervous that it was going to not be good for her, but she actually loved it. And then I got to see The Gentleman. Did you see The Gentleman? Oh my God. Yeah. I forgot to mention. I totally saw The Gentleman and it was the last movie that I saw at the Ritz at the Bourse. What did you think of The Gentleman? I loved it. I almost loved it. <laughs> I think I, this is funny that I, I'm saying this, but I'm going to say this and then you're going to tell me why I'm wrong. I think that that while much of the edgy humor is fine, I actually think the cheapest, dumbest joke is the one that I don't appreciate, which is uh, the joke about Fahak. Oh, with uh, the Asian dude? Yeah. A, yeah. A this is a uh, Chinese gentleman, and the name that they keep joking about is 
not really a Mandarin thing. It's, you know, definitely more of a Vietnamese thing. So it doesn't even really work for the character. B, unlike some of the other racist comments in the movie, of which there are many. Um, yeah, there are some in there. It's not done by a character we don't like. Like, all the other racist moments are moments where you're supposed to be judging that character. Even Colin Farrell, even though we like Colin Farrell, it represents that he's kind of old school when he defends the other dude. It, it works for the movie. That whole part is just a dumb, cheap, quote-unquote, Chinaman joke. And it's doesn't it doesn't help anything. It doesn't add texture to the movie. And it's not funny. And, like, that maybe is the worst part for me, which is, you know, not the best thing to say. To say, like, if it was funny, I'd be less bummed on it. But it's not even a funny joke. And it's so unnecessary. And it's, you know... Yes, Colin Farrell's in that scene, but some of the characters that we are meant, you know, Charlie Hunnam's character, we have no evidence that he is racist the rest of the movie at all. So why is he in on this stupid Chinese name joke? It's it's it really bummed me out. And and in a movie that otherwise I thought was okay. although I will say there's a bit of a question about having um, the one Jewish character who is in a lot of ways a Jewish stereotype is asked later on to give a pound of flesh. Uh, that might feel like a smart plot twist, but it's also kind of anti-Semitic, just saying. Right. Notice. So that kind of bums me out a little bit, too. That being said, is it a better fucking Guy Ritchie movie than any Guy Ritchie movie of recent memory? Since 1997 or 8? Yeah. Wait, didn't he do that Man from Uncle movie? He did. That movie's not too bad. It's This is better. Than- and the Sherlock Holmes. No, nope, And nope, the, bad. yeah, nope. And uh, what was the other one? Uh, the the Arthur the King Arthur John Ugh, trash shit. yeah I mean I, I think Man from Uncle is fine but I definitely think that this is better than Man from Uncle if it wasn't for the stupid uh, Chinese joke and really ending it on a mildly anti-Semitic note like I just think referencing the Shylock is it, it just it just puts the whole space in a weird space I, again not that I'm deeply offended by it I think I think that's the part that's a bummer is that I, I think Guy Ritchie likes to be edgy and there's ways that he's edgy. I appreciate if you, if you watch it, pay attention to a Guy Ritchie movie, all of the characters flirt with each other, especially the straight men. Like, mm-hmm. like I would say that all of Guy Ritchie's movies border almost on queer in the sexuality between straight men. And I kind of appreciate that about his films. But what I don't appreciate is referencing the Shylock when you're about to straight up murder a Jewish character just seems like a poor poor difficult choice to make poor decision to make in this particular climate right now like let's just avoid that but you know whatever maybe i'm being too sensitive but but that being said it was still pretty good i still laughed a lot of it and i thought it was certainly uh more coherent than a lot of his films have been of recent memory i would agree i also got to see it with again it was the last time i was able to see a movie at the ritz at the Bourse, which we both know yeah that's like a home base for it's us, right? Thing. Like we've yeah. seen so many movies there. But I also got to see it with Scully and uh, and Adam and Scott were there, pre- former guests of uh, the show. And uh, I went with Melani and Wagon Sheets, and like you know, it was just like one of those things that like we all wanted to go, and we were there, and it was like super fun. So maybe that taints my opinion of the movie, and maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. But um, I definitely came out of the movie feeling like ah. You know what I mean? Like, that was cool. It's, it's also, nice to know that he's back, that he did something that was actually, like, pretty good. Yeah, it was, like, all the tricks that made him famous with, like, a, a definitely the, the visual vocabulary definitely got way better since back then, too. Sure. So um, I I appreciated that stuff. I appreciated all the grime in there. I thought that was cool. And um, the suits in the movie look awesome. 
it is a very fashionable movie. Like that's <laughs> you could say the fashion is one of the characters in the movie, really. I would agree. I would agree. Another movie that I saw that I forgot to mention my whacking on track is I saw Color Out of Space. So I haven't watched it yet. We were just talking about it. We recorded Harvest the other day, and Justin was talking about it. And uh, I'm waiting. I think it's screening at a theater this weekend in this area with like a with a Q and A with uh, Nick Cage. So, uh, oh wow, are you going? Well, he's not physically there. It's like he's satellited in. But yeah, I still want to go. So I, I have been totally waiting. Go. I've been waiting to watch it to that. But is it as messed up and weird as I want it to be? Uh, it's pretty messed up and it's pretty weird, but I don't think it's as messed up and weird as you want it to be. Uh, that's a bummer. I mean, like, it's it's ridiculous for sure. It's definitely, I mean, you know, but it's also, it's it's fun. You know, there, there are moments in there of wild brilliance. And uh, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to mess it up for you, but sure. I definitely enjoyed it. Sure. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I also wanted to mention, um, I saw finally saw Jojo Rabbit. Um, and? Yeah, you know, it's mostly great. Uh, I think that the question around Jojo Rabbit is, does the, you know, I don't want, I think this is a movie some people still haven't seen, so I don't want to spoil anything. But there's a very dramatic moment, and that moment is either earned for you or it isn't. For me, it it wasn't, I didn't feel like it worked the way it was done. Um, I felt like, not Mm -hmm. that the scene itself was bad, but that that tonal shift was just a tonal shift too far for me um, from the rest of the film. Uh, that being said, I still felt like most of the movie worked. I don't understand people who like a lot of people are really hating it. Like this is like the worst movie of the year and blah, blah, blah. I don't really get that. I think it's mostly good. It's just, a, you know, Taika Waititi, God bless him, is swinging for the fences. He really is trying something here. And I think he really tried to get at it through some very dramatic emotional moments. I don't know if that worked. And I feel like humor wise, there could have been more insightful takes on Nazis. If you really think about it, the only character that we see a lot of that's supposed to be a Nazi is Taika Waititi's fake Hitler. And uh, that's, don't get me wrong, one of the best parts of the movie and a true source of humor the whole time. But it's not really about the Nazis. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, mm-hmm. It's about the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's fine to make a movie like that. But I think the idea that this is some sort of insightful satire, I don't think it is that. I think it's more just a fun movie in some ways and a touching movie in some ways set during a very stark background. And, uh, well, I don't think that's offensive and I'm glad he tried it. I just don't know that all of it quite worked for me. Um, enough to call it like the movie of the year, which I think a lot of people are like, really, this was their movie this year. It's just not there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do I think it was bad? I kind of, no. I kind of think if we weren't super versed in like Wes Anderson and other, other like visually stylized movies that have an edge of humor to them, I don't think that, if like if this is your introduction to that, I can see how you'd be totally sure. taken by yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. So um, I loved it. Don't get it twisted. Like I really did enjoy this movie, um, but uh, I don't think it's my favorite of the year for sure. Yeah, I don't. Not in a year that gave us pain and glory. Right. Not in a year that gave us the lighthouse. Not in a year that gave us midsummer. Not in a year that gave us um, parasite. Like I mean, you know. I'll I'll go so far as to say I didn't love it, but it doesn't sour Taika Waititi for me. In fact, I think. It is well within, like, it's not that far off the movies of his that I love, and it makes me excited to see more from him. Like, I really think, like, he took a real chance with this movie. I don't know, again, that he nailed it, 
But I think seeing him take those chances is exciting. It's an exciting movie to watch, even if yeah. I didn't fall in love with it, because I think he's really risking some things. I just think, again, as you know this about me, I think he could have risked more. I think he could have been more edgy. And if he had been more edgy, then maybe some of the more dark, dramatic things that I thought were a little out of place, they would have fit a little bit better if we if we were on edge. If a he bit went more. further in the other direction. Yeah, I just think so. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, if people love it, I don't think you should feel bad about that. I think it was a great... <laughs> movie in a lot of ways it just didn't all work for me you know this is like a a flavor thing more than like uh you guys are on you know in you know this is not like my vendetta against the uh fast and furious films <laughs> right 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 and fun yeah it's not like your vendetta against fun oh, again that's a different of a thing gun. yeah yeah, you yeah son of a gun um i mean but you know why don't we talk more about movies you didn't like that seems fun <laughs> oh yeah. why you gotta be such a monster uh i, I i'm actually really glad it, even though i don't i didn't love it i am glad i saw it this was not like a oh whack i think it's on track that i caught it and i feel like glad that it's out there i just you know i don't think i was mm. the as deeply in love as other people were um what was the other things oh uh that band from i think they're from chicago bugging out has a new mm-hmm. record out. I think it's self-titled, uh, but it, it just came out the other day, and I've been rocking that since it came out. And yeah, it's self-titled, uh, put out by, I don't know, wouldn't call them friends of the show, but people I know in New Morality Zine, uh, they put out uh, Friends of the Show's record, uh, Sunstroke. Sunstroke, yeah. So this is their new release. Uh, it's great. It's sick. You should check it out. Um, I haven't seen as much sort of positive response to it as i think it deserves their demo was on my list of favorite demos slash eps Whoa. of the year so uh this is i think lives up to that so if you like it like you know it's straightforward hardcore with a little bit of a modern touch i think i think most people would dig it so uh otherwise like i said san francisco was definitely on track all around but other specific things that were on track recently i think that's about it i haven't gotten to get to the movies though i really i'll I'll straight up own. I want to see Birds of Prey. I know people are. Some people are yeah, not people stoked are, on it, are, but I'm. People into are it. stoked that I've been reading about it. Like that, they were pretty hyped. Like, yeah. I know Scully, friend of the show, Scully was pretty pumped on yeah. it, and uh, so was um, I think wasn't a Geekadelphia on it? Wasn't he about it? I think so. I I I, I saw a few people who seemed stoked on it. I, I definitely. I get it that like some people are just sick of DC, and I think some people find Margot Robbie's um, Harley Quinn a little too much for them. But uh, I'm not one of those that's people. Fair. I'm not. That's fair. I'm yeah. not one of those people. I, I like her as Harley Quinn. I like Margot Robbie. I like uh, I like the other characters in it. I'm I'm into seeing Huntress. I'm into seeing um, uh, Black Canary. So yeah. I'm stoked. I, I want to see it. So awesome. Ha, yeah. Who knows if I will get to because that's how my life is. But I'm trying to see it. Um, and I don't know what's coming up, but I also want to voice my excitement. Exhumed Films had this like uh, cryptic, cryptic post. tweet. You know, Exhumed Films still lives, and I'm like, what does that mean? What are they doing? So I'm really stoked. <laughs> to be fair, they just had an event a few months ago. It's not like they went away for a year or something. It's only been yeah, a couple yeah, months, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, the idea that they're going to be even more active than that makes me excited. So that's Pretty it. Pumped. Don't have a lot we of love lack. the exhumed guys. We love them. Yes, we love them. Yes, we really do. Oh, another thing that I did that was on track is I played a show in DC at a place called the Pie Shop. Oh, with uh, American Television. Well, yes, I played with American Television and another band called Foxhall Stacks and a band called Teen Cobra. But uh, Foxhall Stacks, do you know this band? No. Uh, the drummer was in. Um, he was. He plays in Second Letter with uh, Rob Hayworth, who used to be in Inside Out and was in. Um, 
uh, he, he was in like all those old bands. He was in Far Side, and uh, so the drummer is a dude named Pete Moffat. He used to be in uh, Burning Airlines, sure, and he was in Government Issue when he was a young man. And um, there's uh, the one the one guitar player was from Jawbox. The other guitar, the other guitar guy was from um, was from Velocity Girl. So they're like a super group, you know what I mean? And we got to play with them, and it was uh, pretty awesome just because it was a sold-out show, and it was at this place in D.C. that served pie, and it was a really, really fun night. And Dave got to talk to the one guy from Jawbox, and he was just like, hey, man, I just want you to know, I'm not trying to fan out on you or anything, but me and Josh have been best friends since seventh grade, and we've had named our first band Hey Angel after a Jawbox song, so just want to tell you. And like the dude was like pretty pumped. It was really a funny night. Like it was just an interesting night. And American Television are awesome. Uh, I'm actually playing with them tomorrow night in Asbury Park, and that's going to be equally fun. So, um, so yeah, that was another on track thing that I did. Played Sick. the dope show. Sick. Yeah. Yay. Well, in honor of uh, me getting back from San Francisco, and honestly, the only whack part about San Francisco was uh, realizing how like criminally expensive it is to live in san francisco Jesus. so that i yeah, could I know, never ever live there it's crazy dude because i'm walking around being like this place is beautiful this place is wonderful man i'd love to live here uh but that's because i was in the mission and then as soon as you get to some of the places that are like fully beyond gentrified like they're like ultra gentrified you're like oh yeah this is hell on earth like this is like a yuppie <laughs> paradise like average rent for a two-bedroom is like approaching six grand like it's out of control six grand jesus buddy buddy it was god bless it was crazy so um because i am missing it i was like well i want to watch some san francisco movies and josh was like we should do some san francisco movies so we decided to do the conversation and bullet uh i've never seen the conversation and uh i haven't seen bullet since college so i was really stoked to do this uh (laughs) yeah so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back uh which one are we going to start with, Josh? Let's start with the conversation. All right. We're going to start with uh, Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. We'll be right back. All right. After the break. The loveliness of Paris seems somehow sadly gay. The glory that was Rome is of another day I've been terribly alone and forgotten in Manhattan I'm going home to my city by the bay I left my heart in San Francisco high on a hill it calls to me to be Where little cable cars Climb halfway to the stars The morning fog May chill the air 
I don't care My love waits there In San Francisco Above the blue And windy Jacob, I wrote a song and I'll play it for you right now while Liam's peeing. Arnold Schwarzenegger, greatest action star of all time. Arnold Schwarzenegger, master of the snappy one-liner. Whoa. Master of the snappy one-liner. Politics might be different from mine, but your movies live in my heart and mind. Tough guy with the heart of gold, tough guy with the heart of gold. I loved you in True Lies. Arnold Schwarzenegger, greatest action star of all time. Arnold Schwarzenegger, master of the snappy one-liner Conan the Barbarian and the Destro- oh wait, shit, it goes uh fuck, I forgot it, Jake, maybe if, if Liam has to pee again, I'll, I'll play it for you <laughs> but uh, it's a song I wrote about Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, 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 it's not very good it's not very good, I'm better at guitar, you should know Yeah, no, I don't, I, I got nothing. Well, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Cause falling in love just makes me feel blue. Well, if you sit down with this old clown. Wait, no. Fuck, how's that song go? Well, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Just makes me feel blue Well the music plays and you display Your heart for me to see I had a beer and now I hear You calling out for me And I hope that I don't fall in love with you Well there's music so playing So not surprising Whoa! Music. Poor Jacob 
He uh, he almost got my full Arnold Schwarzenegger song. <laughs> I fucking forgot the second verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, sorry for the delay, but of course, as soon as I go upstairs, Suze wants to talk about stuff, and I'm like, okay. And then we're just talking, and I'm like, oh wait, I need to go finish recording my podcast. And you're like, oh, I left the radio running. <laughs> and we are back. <laughs> Hi, y'all. So, Liam, what is your relationship with San Francisco? Like, walk me through, like, I know that you just went there and that you just came back and you had a great time and all that stuff. But, like, for me, I love music from the Bay Area. Like, it's no it's no secret that, like, Josh loves a lot of bands that were San Francisco bands, you know what I mean? And, like, I really love, like, uh, not just, like, the Gravity Records or, like, the, the bands out there, like, uh, your Antioch Arrow or Unbroken and th- stuff like that. But I also really love, like, the crusty punk from out there. Like I really love bands that you know. I don't. Th- I don't think Antioch Arrow or Unbroken are from the Bay. Uh, they're from San Diego. Those are both um, San Diego bands. In fact, yeah, okay. The Gravity Bay Area bands. The I Gravity really like a lot scene of... was all San Diego for the most part. Some LA and yeah. Orange you're County. right. You're right. It's just not Philadelphia, so I don't. I know. know. But as um, soon as you get past Nevada, you're like, yeah, it's all Cali out there. I'm like, ah, look at all these white people. But um, I definitely think, like, when I think of Bay Area rock, I think of, like, you know, um, the stuff that I love, like uh, Rancid. I think of them. Yeah. I think of bands like Cringer, bands like J Church. Uh, I think of, um, I don't know, stuff like that. Like, the more, like, happy, well, not happy per se. Bands like uh, Grimple. They're a Bay band, right? Aren't they? Um, I know Crimpshine. I- I don't know. Crim Shrine. Yeah, that whole Aaron comic book scene. Like, I love all of that stuff. Like, all of that shit. Put it right in my ears. All of it. So, uh, in, in my mind, I've never been to San Francisco myself, but my estimation of it is very much informed by that, but also now informed by movies like The Conversation and like Bullet. Mm. Mm. So, tell me about your relationship with San Francisco. Well, I mean, so before I went out there, uh, I didn't really have much of a relationship except for friends going out there my friends joel and ria lived in philly we we all went to the same college we all moved into philly around the same time um and they were very much entrenched in philly and i really saw them as like philly people who like weren't gonna leave philadelphia and then they went out to visit in san francisco and literally came back and were like hey everyone we're moving to san francisco now bye and just left (laughs) and uh, i've wanted to go out there since then that was probably 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago, they went out there, probably 17 years ago. And uh, and I've never been able to go. I've, I've seen them a bunch when they came back out here, but I haven't been able to get out there to see them. And so um, it's been a place where that I've kind of imagined. I have friends. Uh, you remember Ed Comboy, who worked at uh, Broad Street Ministry? He lived, uh-huh. he lived in San Francisco for 25 years, and so he'd talk about it a lot. Um, nice. I met people from out there. Um, it's always been some place that I've thought of like, I want to go to this interesting sort of different place. And as uh, a city, it lived in my mind in such a weird diversity of films. On one hand, on film, Bullet is a good representation of San Francisco on film because San Francisco has cop movies. Bullet, yeah, Dirty Harry, even like modern movie like Zodiac. Like these are like, yeah. it also has a bit of a, like a, a family feel, which is interesting, considering the whole hate Ashbury, basically like 
ground zero for the gay rights movement. Like just after Stonewall, everything else was in San Francisco, Harvey Milk, all that stuff. But it also has this weird family feel, whether that's uh, I'm thinking specifically of Mrs. Doubtfire, which Mrs. Doubtfire made San Francisco look like some sort of like yuppie paradise, you know, Uh, but also like full house. You know, people still people still go almost as like on a pilgrimage to the full house houses, the painted ladies or whatever. Uh, That's like a thing that people care about. Like so to think like this is the city where you could think about drugs on the street and free sex and whatever. Or you could think about Mrs. Doubtfire in Full House, or you could think about Dirty Harry or any number of other kind of like uh, gritty crime films. It seems like such a mm. interesting place. And and you know even while we were there, we we did this walking tour, and the guy on the walking tour was presenting all of the progressive ideas of San Francisco. You know, even back in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, San Francisco was like a progressive place for the time or at least a filthy place for the time where people would come out to look for gold and they'd live these extreme lives and as a place that was you know freedom and all this stuff and he was presenting this really whatever and I was like well, okay that's great hippies gold rush free sex I get it I get it I get it I get it but also how do you explain Dirty Harry and he talked about how uh, a lot of cities have this mythology of themselves that sometimes they can distract themselves from the reality. And the reality is as much as all that freedom and whatever is true about San Francisco, the police thing is also true. In fact, uh, San Francisco right now notoriously ships in, uh, you know, vets uh, from all over the country to be part of their police force so that they can make a ton of money. I mean, starting salary for the police force is somewhere around 175 grand. And so like people, Jesus Christ. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I'll tell you all right now, if you're planning to move to San Francisco and make anything less than a hundred grand, then you're planning to live in poverty because you just can't live there for less than that. It's just impossible. But still you hear that number. You're, uh, you know, maybe you're someone who washed out of the military. You're in another part of the country and you know that San Francisco will pay your travel to come out there and be on the police force and those folks who come in maybe they're not used to the culture in san francisco which is a diverse culture you know they're they're you know there is a decline in the african-american community uh historically it was around 15 percent. now it's down to somewhere around two or three percent um Jeez. but the latinx community hasn't really decreased that much even though a lot of people have been pushed out they haven't been pushed out at the same rates and so that causes a lot of community conflict because these folks come in and they don't know uh who the people are that they're dealing with so all that to say i've i've idealized san francisco from afar seeing it up close i got a little more of the reality of it and the harshness of the economics of it but that didn't change the fact that like you know i stayed a bunch of days in the mission i could get up Go get some gentrified coffee, then go around the <laughs> go around the corner and get some authentic, authentic tacos, like next level gritty tacos. Then go down the street, get like a street dog, like all the street dogs in the mission are wrapped in bacon. There was like multiple Filipino places. I went to a Filipino nice. place and everyone got those egg johns that I'm not into. What are those? The balut. Oh, people were all like, We gotta try the balut. And I'm like, nah, dog, I'm good. <laughs> The one, dude, the one dude we were with was like, you have to do it because it's like a cultural experience. And I was like, I literally said, if I ever want Balut, I'll just talk to one of my best friends and he'll get it for me. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, Balut is cool as something that you egg someone with. Right. It's, Not as much as something that you consume. No, it's, just it's fucking disgusting. So, But, the, but yeah. that's the diverse community, you know? Like, that's th- that even under this, like, huge pressure of, like, massive economic 
oppression really and gentrification there's still so much weirdness and coolness there um but for me because it is also so visually different than any place i've ever been before like i don't think i've ever been anywhere that looks like san francisco watching movies set there and film there really like was something i wanted to do almost as like a comforting thing you know what i mean yeah man like dude like just think about last black man in San Francisco yeah. that we saw last year yeah. and like lost our minds on like your picture in front of that house is amazing. Yo, what was crazy about going so to that awesome. House, what was crazy about going to that house though. If anyone's in San Francisco, I actually recommend you to look it up. It's easy. It's just on Google. You can find it. Uh, they did a lot of work to make you not know what that neighborhood's like. Like you saw that movie. Would you have yeah. guessed that there's a, a low rent liquor store right on the corner? Definitely would not have guessed that. Six no. houses down, there's a liquor store. You know what I mean? Like amazing. It's not. It's not the totally isolated sort of uh, bastion oasis of whatever or whatever that it makes it seem yeah. in the movie. It's just the house is really cool. So, um, but yeah, that was not that far from where I stayed. It was right where that house was. So, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was it was awesome being there. But like. Um, it was interesting getting a little more reality to San Francisco. Still, it's still this beautiful community on a peninsula, like ocean on one side, bay on the other. Um, I just think if I go back, I really want to make the effort to get to Oakland, get to uh, Berkeley. I even need to get down to – there's a lot of like cool shows in San Jose right now, so I want to get down there if I, if I ever go back. So anyways, it was cool. But as far as like th- with these movies, I got to say uh, – it was interesting seeing these films and seeing uh, San Francisco at that time because it's already mm-hmm. so different. It's similar, but it's yeah. so different as well, you know? All right. Let's start with it, man. Let's go for it. Did you see the square where um, the conversation got filmed? No. In fact, when I when it came on, the first thing I said to Susan is, ah, oh, why didn't we go there? <laughs> I, it looks awesome. That opening shot yeah. is insane so it looks like that square is like direct downtown like really downtown and honestly all the traveling we did in san francisco we went to so many different neighborhoods we didn't really go down downtown you know what i mean so Mm. um i i don't know i I didn't look it up to see exactly where it was but i i'm pretty sure we never saw that particular park though there are parks everywhere in san francisco so um Mm. maybe we did and i just it just ran together in my mind but uh yeah the conversation so you this is something i should have asked ahead of time are you a big francis ford coppola person i don't know anything about francis ford coppola i know the outsiders like going into this movie i've seen the outsiders yeah i've never seen apocalypse now which i know it's like a mathematician that doesn't know the number three but sure that's where i'm at never saw it what about godfather films i've seen godfather one and two i haven't seen the third one you don't don't think that was by design yeah yeah that's what everybody says so but uh i get it i get it you know what i mean like i i love those movies as well but um, I still feel like I don't know Francis Ford Coppola. Well, I mean, having now seen the conversation, he both he and Gene Hackman lift this up as their favorite movie that they done that they've done for Francis Ford Coppola. Everyone talks about Apocalypse now. Everyone talks about the Godfather films. So for him to say like this is the best movie I've done is saying a lot. You know, I think it's it's speaking to a lot. I had this is a film that I learned about probably six or seven years ago. Like, oh, this quiet Francis Ford Coppola movie with Gene Hackman is kind of a must-see. And I just had never mm. made time to watch it. I'm so glad we made the time to see it. Uh, as you said, just the opening shot alone is, like, so well-constructed, so beautiful. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it, The Conversation is a film about surveillance. 
It's about espionage, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's like about the weird industry of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's and you know it's not even really espionage in the sense that like when I think of espionage, I think of statecraft, and it's interesting mm-hmm. that our man here spies on everyone. You know, and, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like up for sale, and that's his business. Right, right. And so Gene Hackman plays this super uptight, nerdy, religious like dude. Yeah, surveillance expert uh, who lives in San Francisco, and he lives this very focused life. He doesn't have much of a social life. He just he has his business that he's like one of the best, and he has his saxophone. And that's it. That's what he's got, and that's who he is. Um, interestingly, well, he he has like a, a mistress, sure, played by sure. a very young Terry Gar, um, who is who is great, they, by the way. That's like her yeah. scene is one of my favorite parts of the movie. But it's so brutal because it shows like it's such a good scene in showing just how weirdly like isolated yeah. Gene Hackman's character is. Yeah. in the movie, um, the the film came out around the time of Watergate, and in fact. For a lot of people, it's about Watergate, uh, but really it's not. The script had been written years and years before, and even filming, even though they include some stuff going on with Nixon in the filming of the movie, um, they started filming before any of that controversy started to come to light. Uh, Mm. It was really a movie, oddly enough, inspired by Blow Up, Uh, Antonioni's Blow Up, um, and adding in some of the more – not that Blow Up isn't a movie about – conspiracy theories and about being um surveilled and all this other yeah stuff. but, but a, this movie takes the anxiety you know or the uh yeah for sure the, what's the word i'm thinking of josh where you are you have a lot of anxiety that feels like over the top uh just panic i guess no, i don't know like if you what? are someone who's who has a lot of conspiracy theories What's the word I'm thinking? Paranoia. Yes. The paranoia of this movie is so much more. It's the same themes as Blow Up, but the paranoia is like a next fucking level. Yeah. I mean, especially in the scenes that are closer to uh, Hackman's character, uh, Harry Call sure. is his name in the movie. The scenes that show him like like either working or like the scenes where like where he's at the party with all the people and all that stuff and they're asking him about himself and like you realize like, Oh, this guy isn't just big in San Fran. Like he was huge in New York for his work, and he's like renowned in this field for yeah. being the guy that can get the recording. Yeah, like you just realize how like he's trapped by his own successes in this field because like he doesn't trust anybody, and he, he and and like one of the more pivotal parts of the scene is he gets played really hard by a lady in the in like you know he gets taken pretty terribly and it's it's one of those things where you realize that there is no comfort for him and his levels of paranoia are warranted it's oh man it just it seems to be a movie that addresses the artifice of truth right right and it addresses the artifice artifice of um of honesty it's such a great movie so uh just for those of you i mean we're going to be spoiling it, so hopefully you've seen it. But just in case someone hasn't seen it, you know, he's hired for a specific job and he uh, records what would seem like a difficult conversation to record. Two people in a park walking around, not staying still, uh, with a lot of people around, a lot of ambient noise. So in theory, you shouldn't be able to record it. He, because he's so good at his job, he manages to get a conversation almost entirely uh recorded and so then the film starts to sort of spiral in paranoia because he isn't quite sure first off um 
where the people are who hired him to record it. Like he has a specific person he's working with and at first they're not available. And then he starts to worry for the safety of the people he recorded. And it turns out he had a horrible situation where because of a recording he did, someone died. Like they were tortured and murdered because yeah, and like a whole family was killed because yeah. of the surveillance that he had done. And he, you realize that a lot of his guilt, that he's carrying a lot of his weirdness is he's carrying guilt, almost like a Catholic guilt about that. You know, that he feels entirely responsible, but he's trying to tell himself he's not. Uh, but one of the other things that keeps happening is as he's putting the conversation together, he keeps listening to it. And at first it's clear he's listening to it to clarify certain parts of it, but really he's obsessed with it. He wants to understand it. Why is, why this conversation? Why was this important? Why did he need to record this? What does it mean? And he starts to have that same anxiety that he's going to cause something horrible. He's going to cause the deaths of these two people because of this. And the movie just spirals around this whole feeling of him not being safe, about him worried about being guilty, about him not knowing who he can trust. Uh, Mm -hmm. And about him inadvertently causing harm on people that are innocent, on the two young people. Yeah. And And, uh, Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's just insane because you end up realizing that they're the people that are about to cr- commit the harm, right? Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Like they're the ones that were, yeah. yeah. And like so then he, you realize he, he, that like he gets to a moment where you think and he thinks like you're part of this, where you're part of his perspective that the, that the director has murdered this couple, and what you find is that it's the exact opposite. And in fact, that conversation wasn't just incriminating them that they're having an affair. It was them planning the murder of the man who hired him to tape the conversation. And what the film does brilliantly is every time he listens to the conversation, he hears it a little bit differently. Well, that's because Francis Ford Coppola did 50 different recordings of the same conversation. And so every time you hear it and he's interpreting the conversation differently, you're hearing a different conversation. A different take. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, like, it's brilliant, really. Oh, my God. So, yes, narratively it's brilliant because i don't know about you the tension in this film just it ups and ups and ups and ups and ups yeah it's unbelievable it's unbelievable tone throughout this entire movie and it's definitely like a cornucopia like you there's no it doesn't relent really and even in moments when he does kind of get a little bit of a respite from like the work and like the implications of that you realize that it's all tied in you know what i mean like Again, this the party scene where he's supposed to be relaxing and drinking alcohol. It's like, ah. And it still ends up being part of like his whole work thing. You know what I mean? It's so good. It's interesting too though that I think it also thematically works. Like there's this thing going on in the way he hears the conversation differently every time, in that all of the surveillance doesn't mean that we are more secure or that we know more. In fact, the more that mm. he listens to this conversation, the more confused he is about what is actually going on. Um and the differences he hears sort of highlights this reality that like as obsessed as he is with feeling comfort, with feeling secure, with feeling safe, he's never that. He's never safe the whole movie. Mm. And the yeah. ending really puts a fucking nail in that coffin. Oh my God. The ending is so lovely. Garrett uh, Smith, friend of the show and also um, one of the podcasters for, I like to movie movie. He talks about how that the final scene is his favorite of all time and I can as I as I got to it I was like this is fucking genius it's so brilliant because it says exactly what the whole movie is implying that there is there's going to 
Man, it's just so good. He's just sitting in this wrecked apartment looking for a microphone that he can't find with his saxophone. It's fucking amazing. I just, now, plot-wise, I assume the way they recorded him was actually the phone thing that he that he didn't think worked. Yeah, yeah, I assume that's what it yeah, was, too. But, you know, basically at the end of the film, they figured out that he knows what really happened. And so they threatened him, like, we're listening, we'll come for you. And he just futilely just futilely tears his whole apartment apart trying to find how it is they recorded him because he just assumes he's above that that he yeah that, that he since he's an expert in the field he somehow knows yeah. more than the next person and it's not but, true man. i mean it to me i don't know if this is a direct thing but it made me think about honestly america it made me think about our stance as a military power the idea that if we just keep building the army and having more bombs and being having more spies and more surveillance that we'll just have more than everyone else and in a way we do have more we have more of a bill but we aren't really any safer like he is the best at what he does but he could still get surveilled he could still get it wrong he yeah. really doesn't know what's going on and he can't save anyone because he's as confused about who people are and what they're about as anyone else yeah yeah it's so good man it's just he his performance in it is so it's so wonderful I got, it really is i got to also listen up a very young harrison ford dude harrison ford is like a total babe in this and like his, you could see his chin scar real good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome, man. Like, I don't know. I think that was really funny. And um, uh, I really that both of that, these um, movies are Robert Duvall movies. That both of these movies are Robert Duvall movies. Yes. But also both of these movies star stars of 70s television. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. This one has Cindy Williams. who played. Uh, she played Shirley on Laverne and Shirley. Yep. And then the other one had Mr. Roper in it. Yeah. I was like, whoa, Mr. Roper's in Bullet. Oh, man. Pretty funny, pretty funny. Oh man! But um, yeah, I know what a parallel to draw. Yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, as far as the San Francisco ness of it all, I think it it probably is. Um, it has a little less than the next movie we're going to talk about, which has a lot of like cityscape. But I feel like if you are from San Francisco, you'll probably like watch this film and be able to see some of the shadows of what you see all the time. It's just I think some of the downtown mm. stuff in this movie. I think a lot of those buildings have been torn down and and rebuilt in other ways. So. Um, it, I, I didn't quite get the same feel, but again, I was only there for, you know, a short period of time, 10 days. Yeah. yeah. So. I definitely, I, I love the scenes that were shot inside his warehouse. Yes. That was like really empty and like how his friend like just rides out on his moped inside the, inside the, the room. It's like, man, this shit is genius. That made me laugh really, really hard for some reason. But, um, I, I really liked his friend in this movie when he goes to the other guy's business, you know what I mean? And like they're at the trade show and he's like, I think someone's following me. I don't like it. And he's talking to his boy that's now yeah. working for the other dude after the fight. Like, man, that dude is the whole thing is just like weirdly unsettling. Oh yeah. Like, that, there's uh, this, by the way, that's uh that's uh what's his name from the Godfather? That's uh uh Franco. Oh right. right I know right, right, it was right. you yeah. and it kills me. John Cazale. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good. He's very so, good, too. So good. That's what it is, is that, okay, let's just name what is in this film. One, this is an all-time Gene Hackman performance, which is hard to say because it's so against type. Gene Hackman is a loud yeller. You know, he is yeah. a total, mm -hmm. like, roused about son of a bitch. That's his best roles. I get it, mm -hmm. 100%. However, him as this nerdy... uh 
ultra-religious, kind of like almost like loser guy in the sense of he doesn't have a lot yeah. of social life. It's but brilliant. he's like it's also brilliant. like he's he's brilliantly haunted in this movie. Like yep. every single line that he delivers has something yep. behind it that is like somehow daunting and somehow like sad. And he just delivers it so yep. well. Plus, can we talk about how he looks awesome in this movie in his yeah. little raincoat and stuff and his well, suit? Well, so one of the it's decisions like, that Coppola made was to he everything he wore was like ten years out of style. So he looks like it's a man awesome. out of time. Like everyone else is looking seventies. You know, this is seventy four. Yeah, right? pretty so, modern for the seventy four look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, here yeah. this dude is in his see through raincoat and his skinny tie. He just looks like he doesn't belong there. You know, and then yeah. that adds to his physical. He's always physically uncomfortable everywhere he goes. So I don't know. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And then the rest of the cast, also good. There's no soft spots. Everyone, even for the little bit there on screen, really nails the the film. Robert Duvall barely has any talking parts in this entire movie. And yet, you totally empathize with this character by the time you get to the end, you know? And you're like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, it's so good. It's just... It's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Even the mime at the beginning for that overhead crane shot, you're like, wow, this is... This is some shit, man. San Francisco. Like, as a person who's never been to San Fran, as I was watching this movie, I was like, yo, San Francisco must be wild. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that I, was I think it really gets that. It really, um, considering by the 70s, San Francisco really was wild. I really think that this film gets at a little bit of, you know, it it's its own world. It is definitely the place, if something went wrong for you in New York or for, mm-hmm. you know, for our next movie in Chicago, uh, if something went wrong for you in those places, San Francisco is where you go to get away. Yeah, it's like where you outpost. can be anonymous. It feel yeah. it feels like San Francisco in a way in the both these movies feels like uh, feels like the cantina in Star Wars. You know what I mean? It's like that yeah, that yeah, place yeah. at the edge of the frontier that you're just trying to get away from everything. Which historically, yeah, you're that's Tatooine. Yeah, that's what it was for a lot of people. You know. Mm, mm. Anyways, I you know all I can say is uh, the performances are great. Um, narratively, like the structure of it on a narrative sense, everything works together. It sold me on its, you know, on its premise and it fooled me with its ending. Like I just was whatever. And then I think thematically, like it is such a movie of its time when it, it wasn't even trying to be, it wasn't even about Nixon. It wasn't even about the cold war. And yet you're watching it being like, is there any film more about Nixon and the cold war than this movie? Yeah. And also, it just resonates in today's current climate of like Agreed. these backhand deals and like shaking hands and all this other yeah. stuff. Like, it's so. As I was watching it for the first time for this episode, I was like, man, this really does resonate right now. And it's so good. It's so expertly done, man. I tell you, that Frankie Ford Coppola, that guy's yeah. got a future, I think. I regret he's, I didn't he's got a thing. I regret I didn't go to his restaurant. In San Francisco, there's a you know, his company is American Zoetrope. In San Francisco, yeah. right at where Chinatown meets uh Little Italy, there's a restaurant called Cafe Zoetrope. And it has memorabilia from old Hollywood, but also from all of his films. So I wish That's I kinda amazing. wish I had gone. We just didn't have a chance to like I saw it. I was in that neighborhood, but I didn't get a chance to go. I kinda wish I had. You see some, yeah, see some yeah. Frankie Ford copies up in there. Yeah, you fucked up. Way to fuck up, Liam. Well, I chose to go to City Lights Bookstore because Lawrence Ferlinghetti is still there sometimes, and I was hoping to catch him, but I didn't catch him. <laughs> All right, so the conversation. Yeah, great movie. This goes in contrast to another great movie that we saw today, or well, I saw today. <laughs> Bullet. So Bullet is a classic Steve McQueen cop movie. Uh, it is. You know, I'm. I don't know about you. What is your relationship to Mr. Steve McQueen? 
Never heard of him. <laughs> no, um, I really, really love The Great Escape. Like, sure. I don't really, as you know, I'm not really like a war movie dude. No. But um, there are war movies that I truly do adore, and The Great Escape is one of those like epic Hollywood productions yeah. with Steve McQueen and Charles Bronson and like um, Detective Loomis is in there and like all like all. Did you just um, say Detective Loomis? Yeah, uh huh. And Jim Gardner and uh, first of all, do you some... mean Doctor Loomis? Doctor Loomis, him. Yeah, that guy. He's in there, and um, so disrespectful it's, it's one to of the... my man right now. I know. Well, what's his name, Liam, since you know so much? Oh, don't go looking at your phone right now. <laughs> Donald Pleasance. Yeah, Donald Pleasance. I knew that shit. I knew it was Donald I was Pleasance. just testing you. You didn't because you would have said it. But anyway. Also, but, also, uh, yeah. uh, also, Skin Like Iron is a Bay Area hardcore band. Just saying. Skin Like Iron. Got it. But um, yeah, no, as far as Steve Also, Christ goes, on like, Parade is a Bay Area hardcore band. You got any more? Violent Minds. Operation Ivy. Unit, anyway. Unit Pride. Oh, I never heard of Sabertooth it. Zombie. Um, <laughs> Sabertooth Zombie. <laughs> man, you really are going hard with this phone thing right now, man. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I brought it up earlier when we were talking about that, and then we just never circled back. Like you said all these <laughs> you said all these bands that you liked, and I was like, okay, let me see you. Oh, I like all these bands. I'll mention them when it's my turn. And then I, we just never said it. <laughs> I am overbearing in terms of our conversation. That is my thing. No, we both but, we um, both just fight each other for the mic. <laughs> but anyway, uh, as far as Steve McQueen goes, like uh, The Great Escape was always fed to me by like my dad loves that movie. It's one of those things that I was like, oh, this is like the one. And uh, because of it, like you know, I've understood. It almost helped me understand the concept of like icons from that time of film. And Steve McQueen was definitely one of the people that was lifted up to me as that icon. Um, that said, I don't really know much about cop movies from San Francisco. Like I've seen Dirty Harry, but I, I don't really know like a lot of cop movies like this one. So you know what I mean? what's interesting is that for me is that um, I do like The Great Escape, but I, I think I've had less exposure to classic films. So I searched out The Great Escape as a movie I have to watch. But being someone who is also not stoked on war movies, I've only seen it mm. once. And I, you know, Ugh. it just wasn't my Steve McQueen in. My Steve McQueen in was, oh, yeah, that guy who was in Great Escape, who I liked, has this cop movie Bullet that everyone talks about. And so I need to see Bullet. So I bought Bullet, I think it was maybe in my first 10 DVDs that I bought ever. Oh, wow. And I've had nice. it. And I've, I've watched it a couple times. Uh, well, I watched it first, in, in, like I said, end of college. I think I maybe I watched it once since then. But for whatever reason, it had never clicked with me that it was a San Francisco movie, which is so ridiculous because when I was walking down San Francisco and I was walking up all these crazy hills or oftentimes taking the bus because some of those hills I just don't want to walk, <laughs> I was looking at them going, yeah, these are like from car chases. Forgetting that, yeah, one specific movie has the ultimate, or at least the ultimate that I know of, San Francisco Car Chase. That's Bullet, a movie that you own on DVD. It's like on your shelf right over there, Liam. <laughs> and I just had not thought about that until I was watching it for this. And I was like, oh, this is why I kept thinking about car chases. It's because of this movie. <laughs> wow, that's funny. You know, it's funny. Like, I definitely didn't think it, I've seen this only once before, and I didn't think of it as a San Francisco movie because I had seen it in New York. And uh, this is before I was dating Milani when I was dating that uh, the other woman who lived in New York. And uh, they did a screening of this in Bryant Park. And that was my first time watching this movie. And um, 
I remember at the time being like, wow, this movie's really, really cool. But then, like, you know, it, it was in a park and yeah. it was like nighttime yeah. and it was fun, but it, it definitely detracted from my attention to the movie. So, watching it now uh, with a focus of like not being outdoors and, you know, like it was, I, I really, really, really loved it. I thought it was really good. I think, I think my, I actually revisited this film. Like, my first interest in it was just that. Steve McQueen was a guy that people talk about, and he was in The Great Escape. So here's another Steve McQueen movie. And honestly, I'm sure there maybe are better or other important Steve McQueen movies. This was just the one that I got, and I was like, that was cool. I came back to it actually when um, Death Proof came out because people were talking about Death Proof. They're like, well, if you care about Death Proof, then the movies that you need to see are Vanishing Point, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and Bullet. And I was like, mm. oh, I have Bullet. Let me rewatch that. And the Bullet car is not too different from his car in Death Proof. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would also put up the Italian job, right? Yeah, like, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. So anyways, with Bullet, uh, Steve McQueen plays Frank A detective, Bullet. yeah. Frank, I mean, first of all, why is his name Bullet? That's ridiculous. But uh, Two T's at the end. Yeah, yeah two T's. Yeah. Well, and an I. It's not even, it doesn't matter. The point is. <laughs> He's a hard ass. I definitely, I definitely love the trope of a cop who's like known by his last name, yeah. but then his boss is like, "Come on, Frank!" Like it's so cool. <laughs> That's the thing that, dude. Every okay, so go ahead. So uh, Stephen King plays Frank Bullet. He's he's a cop, but he's kind of hired as a non-cop. Well, like, no, this is a cop mission, but the the idea is that there's a, a federal attorney. Uh, is he a federal attorney or a congressman? He's a federal attorney with designs on public office. Yeah, and he there. This is around the time that they first started pro- prosecuting the organization, which now we would all call right. the mafia. But at the time, yeah, mafia yeah, yeah. wasn't like a common word people used. And so he's bringing in a, a witness from Chicago, the, who is part of the organization that he had stolen two million dollars from right. their books. And so, so uh, you know, uh, Bullet is put on duty to like watch this guy, and it seems pretty clear pretty early on. Bu- it's kind of like a witness protection kind of yeah. thing, yeah. You know? And Bullet, Frank Bullet, pretty early on is like he doesn't trust any of this. Like you can just tell he's like, no. yeah, None you can of tell he's like sense. got this. I mean, he's got this steely. Steve McQueen had this steely look to him. Oh anyway. yeah. Oh yeah. But as his like uh, it's a job like part happens at the beginning when he gets contracted for this like you could tell it just look he's such a good actor in this movie and I'm that's the thing I'm sure now did you see the um, the film Zodiac are you familiar with Zodiac I am not oh well a see Zodiac but b in Zodiac um oh what is his name uh, the Hulk David Banner no stop the actor um. Uh, uh, Lou Ferrigno. Stop. Oh, you're um, killing me. Ed Norton. No, the other one. The new one. Uh, Eric Bana. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, now I know you're just <laughs> screwing with me. I know. All these people played the Hulk. I, um, I know, but the current Hulk. Ruffalo. Mark yeah. Ruffalo. So in Zodiac, Mark Ruffalo plays a cop. And you know he, he plays like a real cop who existed during that time. And the movie sort of shows how there were a number of films that were based off of this real life cop and what's interesting is that both bullet and dirty harry are influenced by this cop character i don't think either one of them is a true representation but he is this like you know famous cop that journalists love that was a real guy who by the way did not solve the zodiac because nobody solved the zodiac but um point being um this idea of him wearing real like He's almost like an iconoclast in the movie. Yeah. Like he's like, 
Like he's not able to be bought. Yeah. He's like a white version of Shaft. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, and he's certainly hard nosed, and he's not going to give up, and he drives a cool car. I think the cool car is almost part of the point of the whole. Oh of my the whole god! Movie. Yeah. So, dude, you can hate on Fast and the Furious all you want, but there's nothing like American Muscle. <laughs> I don't argue that. I think I, I agree with that. There's nothing like American Muscle. Uh, if only they didn't immediately abandon that concept in almost the first movie. <laughs> um, Anyways, here's the point I'm trying to make here, which is that um, the film is both a gritty crime story about people trying to kill this guy and then, you know, spoiler for a whatever 40-some-year-old, 50-some-year-old movie, <laughs> uh, it turns out that they aren't trying to kill, that that there's a stand-in and this whole thing has been a turnaround from the original witness. But uh, Yeah, but it's a ruse from the original witness. Yeah, so, so it has this whole noir double cross mystery thing but that's only part of it part of it is just steve mcqueen being hot and brooding and driving a cool car and what i love about it is that the film does both of those things equally well the mystery is still there it's not a bad mystery he's still trying to figure it out but they keep taking breaks from the ministry so he can do cool car stuff or he can look tough (laughs) i agree i agree plus see um what's his name um Jacqueline Bissett, a young Jacqueline Bissett plays his uh, his girlfriend, yep. Kathy, yeah. in this movie. So he's like walking around wearing turtlenecks and tweed jackets and smoking and like drinking stuff. And then he's got this like beautiful girlfriend and drives this like crazy car. He's like this idealized like white dude. Yeah. Like he's like got a gun that he knows how to shoot pretty good, but he also can run real nice. And like, you know, he can catch bad guys like, dude the american dream well there's a sense in which he's like very san francisco right like even though he's this tough ass cop he's going to art shows with his with his artist lady friend and you know yeah and that dude there's one scene where uh she so in the movie you realize that like um the dude came from chicago and he's trying to get away from the organization because he stole all their money and then you get this idea that there's a girlfriend involved and him and his girlfriend are trying to go to rome right because that's where people from the organization go when they're trying to get lost right like they're going to rome and um, so they go to the hotel room where they find out that the girl is staying and the girl is murdered. And um, at this point, Bullet has smashed his car yeah. because of the car chase that ends in this huge wreck. Oh, yeah. So by the way, the, the assassins who uh, murder, oh, yeah, the, murder the person he thinks is the witness and kill a cop. Instead of actually arresting them, he just runs them off the road and blows them up. Yeah. Which and they, they hit like an oil tanker or some shit and explode. While they're shooting shotguns we'll, at we'll him. We'll talk about that car chase in a second because I think it's it's worth talking about. But keep going with what you're saying. Right, right, right. So uh, um, Jacqueline Bissett like, ends up being like his chauffeur to like uh, – he gets the call that they're going to the hotel and all that stuff. And he thinks that that's where the dude is and then like the whole body thing. Is, but then she's like waiting in the parking lot for him while he's like, excuse me, hon, I'm going to go. And uh, – you know, he goes and then like he doesn't come back and then another cop car gets there. So she gets out of the car because she's just in the parking lot and she chases after the cops and she ends up in the room with the dead body of the wife and uh, bullets in there on the phone talking to his boss, probably, you know, and she sees the body and he finally sees that she's in the room with the cops and he goes over to her and they walk away and all that stuff. And then they go out to this like beautiful field <laughs> where it's like grass. It's real tall and stuff. And um She's like, well, how is this going to taint you? You're in the middle of all of this terrible stuff or whatever. And she's like, how is this going to look in the future? And he looks at her with that steely gray-eyed look, and he's like, the future starts now. It's like, damn, this dude is the shit. 
He really is. And scene is so awesome. It's just like, ah, it seems so out of place, but it totally makes perfect sense because he's like this American icon again. You know what I mean? Like he's very San Fran man, you know? The film is that perfect 60s balance of like trying to be cool, trying to represent sort of how things really are, but entirely stylized but still but still presenting yourself as not the oh man. yeah oh yeah he's he's got to be ca- he's got to be countercultural just a little bit but not enough to be a scary hippie you know um yeah. he he's going to do things his own I mean, way he's still a cop but then there's a scene at the end when the politician guy who let's be honest he's a real slime in this entire movie the fucking lawyer guy he's, he's the sucked. worst he is the worst yeah, yeah 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 he's fucking terrible and mr roper's working for him what's that about anyway um, so there's a scene where um, he tries to bribe Bullet, and he's like, uh, he also tries to bribe the boss and all that stuff when he serves him the uh, habeas corpus and all that stuff. But um, he tries to bribe Bullet somehow at the end. And he's like, you know, we could end up with a lot of money. And Bullet looks at him. He's like, that's bullshit. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a great. Scene. I mean, you, you so know the guy's shuts him You down. know the guy's a monster because he harasses the captain while the captain's on his way to church at what is one of the largest churches I've seen in my life. Uh, but he just like stops. <laughs> Did him. you actually go to that church? Did you see? No, it? no, we didn't see that one. Oh, um, man. But I will say that the if y'all are looking for a film that looks like San Francisco, I mean the. The, there's a there's a party, you know. Bullet can't just meet this guy. He's got to meet him at this fancy ass party. The house of the party is that we drove by a couple times. That's like that house has not changed. It stands out. Um, the car chase scene where they're doing all the hills and you can see the ocean. You can see Alcatraz in the bay. You can see so much in the background. A lot of those places, I was like, oh, I know where they are now, or I know where that is, or whatever. So that was like super cool actually um, how about the scene there's a scene in there where bullet has to talk to his like underworld friend his connect sure. eddie and he's like ah, i'm gonna be at uh and erico's or something like that like the restaurant that he goes to to meet him and he's like i'll be there in about four hours and he goes there to get information on uh on russo on the the dude that's like running from the organization and then you realize, like, oh, he's talking to an underworld dude because the guy's like, well, one of my friends is awake, and you, I need a favor. Yeah. And uh, and and Bullet says, like, I could see what I can do. Yeah. But it's so cool because he meets him at this like cool ass restaurant. Dude's got like crazy sideburns and a yeah. suit on. Doesn't he seem like cooler than a criminal? Like you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, got like these yellow eyeglasses on, yeah. and like this like this weird mustache sideburn thing happening. Ah, so yeah. cool. That looked. That looked. Well, again, I don't know enough about San Francisco. Like, it looked like San Francisco. I wasn't sure exactly where it was, but, you know, that's just because, guys, I was only there for 10 days. We did a lot of walking around the city. We did a lot of busting around the city, but I still don't know it that well. But the the parts of the car chase I could because they you could see in a certain shots, you could see down the road and see Alcatraz in a certain way. And I was like, oh, well, that's near the wharf or that's near the marina area. Like, it was kind of cool, like, being able to be like, oh, I wonder if that's near the military base or whatever. So, uh, which is a park now, but, you know, the Presidio or whatever. So there was cool stuff like that. And, uh, but also just that car chase is like balls to the wall. Like, it's, it's so brutal because, yeah. like, it's on those hills and everything. Holy shit! There are I three different there, driving on those. There hills. are three different shots where one of the cars loses a hubcap, and I don't even know if that was supposed to happen. Like, if they went and found the hubcap later and they put it back on, but you could see the hubcap go flying off in three different shots. It's crazy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally insane. And it's two, like, American muscle cars, right? It's two, like... Yeah. It just looks tough as fuck as they're, like, weaving in and out yeah. of traffic. And, like, the one guy's got the shotgun, and he's trying to shoot a bullet, and, like, he rolls down the back window, like, the little triangle window he rolls down, which I thought was funny. I ain't gonna lie. I laughed at that. I 100% like, laughed at that part. I also kind of <laughs> laughed at the part that's not supposed to be funny when they die, because I just thought, well, all right, I guess that's not... that. There goes that lead. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're burning to death, I guess. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, because Bullet's not concerned about the legal system. He's just concerned about justice. So he's right. like, like even when they catch the dude at the end at the airport, he's not there for the trial. He just guns him down. And that's it. Justice served. Ah, man. What a character. Huh? To be fair, we're not endorsing vigilante justice. No, no, but no, we're not. Especially the movie's at badass. the hands of cops. But the movie's bad. Like, the you movie's, can't get around it's yeah. badass. It's just how it is, you know? It's a badass movie without any leather jackets in it, too. I'm going to put that out there. Well, and I would also say, unlike Dirty Harry, all the bad guys, for the most part, are white. So that's a little more comforting. It's not it's not <laughs> random white guy gunning down people of color with no... They concern. all look like the same Italian dude, yeah. too, all the bad guys, except for the guy with the white hair. The guy with the white hair was like, when I saw him coming, I'm like, ooh, they called in the old guy. Like, clearly, this is yeah, serious. Like, dude, old head. This guy's killed. He's got bodies. He's got bodies, Oh, definitely, sure. definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. So yeah, but, um, I, there's a lot less thematically to talk about. This is not a deep film. This is what in 19 What is year is this movie from? 64? Uh 64, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, the no, 68. 68. Hold on, let me look. This is what in 1968 uh, or whatever year. This is like yep, a, 1968. This is what was what an action film was. This is like the epitome of an action film. Um now granted, there's no exploding helicopters or some of the things that we've come to associate with action later on, but I like this. This is what I want. If if there were more movies yeah, 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 with yeah. this tone and this level of intensity today, I would be stoked on it because this is my kind of detective film. It definitely doesn't have the paranoia of the conversation. It doesn't have sure. like the deeper arching like I- implications sure. of everything. But uh, it definitely still has the tropes of like a like you know government corruption and you, you don't trust that dude and these like weird people with these ulterior motives and stuff what did you think about the twist when you realized that russo wasn't the people that got killed oh 100 percent. i felt like it was well orchestrated i felt like oh whoa because at that point you're thinking like what is going on here what is this and remember he has his uh his informant already tells him like yeah they're looking for the guy and as yeah, soon as yeah, he yeah, says yeah. that, I'm like, well, something's not right. I will say the only thing that was a surprise to me is I really thought the the prosecutor dude is such a slimy jerk off that I really thought he was going to be part of some criminal conspiracy. I thought that. Yeah, from the beginning. I was definitely watching like there must have been something that he had this vested interest in it, like somehow like was a part of the organization or whatever. Like I, I and when that wasn't even part of the case at the end, when he just rides off reading the newspaper. It's like, whoa, that is some baller shit right there I, that this dude's just... I like it better. It's better this way because yeah, for what sure. it indicates is that he's just a slimy asshole. He doesn't have to be a criminal to be gross. You know what I mean? Yeah, he and that like his vestment is purely career of his own. It's not anything yeah. to do with like any concept of righteousness or justiceness. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty great. It's a really good broad brushstroke to use while still being this gritty San Fran cop movie. You know what I mean? I also really liked the cop, the boss, the dude who played the boss. Oh, he's so good. I He's, he's definitely from TV. He's definitely been on TV. He's, he's definitely the character, though, that every single like... 
like bad boys, uh, Pantoliano and bad boys, like you guys do what you do. Just do it yeah, fast. Yeah. Like that whole like supportive cop boss. I've given him all jurisdiction to do what he sees fit with his case. Sir. Like that shit. It's he's such a like, it's almost like he's patient zero for the trope of like that, like gritty cop boss. Yeah, you I know agree. What I mean? And I love it. I loved it so much. I loved it so much. So these films are very different. It's I know there's probably not a lot of thematic connections for people, but uh, hey, they're two older San Francisco movies. And just for that, they made me very happy to watch. And Robert Duvall is in both of them, yeah. making me wonder: yeah. Did that dude ever have hair on top no, of his head? Never. He's always looked the same age. His whole He's life. always had the friar tuck his entire yeah. life. I will say, Jeez I will say, Christ. the one big thing about watching Bullet was there's so much empty space in Bullet's San Francisco. Like there's so many blank spots. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's not what it's like now at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's there are buildings everywhere now, unless it's a park. There's buildings everywhere. That's amazing. Wow. So good, man. It definitely, watching both of these movies definitely made me be like, yo, I got to see the Bay Area for myself. You know, like I definitely want to go to San Francisco to just walk around yeah. and see what's what. Yeah. Well, we got to, maybe we'll do a Cinepunk's trip out because that would make me very happy. Maybe there'll be a sweet film festival out there that would want to sponsor a Cinepunk's uh, trip out yeah. there. I don't know. Who knows? Gosh. Who knows, so many, Liam? So Who many, knows? So many cool things could happen if people actually listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for I know, listening. Right? The only thing, <laughs> if only we could get people to listen, like you find people. <sighs> well, fucking idiots. Well, you know we do what we can. Hey, this is a fun episode. I hope you guys not liked it. not the listeners. Listeners aren't the fucking idiots. I meant us. Oh meant yeah, us. yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh well. Hey, uh, hey y'all. Thanks for listening, um, Josh. This is a fun episode. I hope you had fun watching these crazy San Francisco movies. I love these movies so much, and I really love that we watch them, and I really love that you're home. So now that we're in yeah. the same time zone again, I don't feel yeah. like there's something weird with the the universe. <laughs> are we gonna do? Do we, are we doing John Woo next, or are we were you keeping it loose? We're keeping it loose, baby. But I'm down with some killer. I'm down with the rough cut drop episode. Yeah, that's true. Even though the drop is over, I don't care. I still want to watch those movies. So uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I yeah. think we'll do Into it. we'll do John Woo next, and then after that, we'll try to get a guest on here. Uh, if you have uh, someone who you feel like we should have had as a guest already, uh, I obviously. You know, we want John Waters on, but we're looking for something a little more realistic than John Waters. So, <laughs> if you have a suggestion other than Justin Harlan, then let us know. Hit us up. Yeah, please let us know. Uh, if anybody is talking to Sean Benesign, tell him that we miss him too, and we wouldn't mind doing another episode with him on it, even though there's no big Marvel movie this year that we're trying to talk about. Uh, I still would like it if Sean could come on the show again. I mean, Sean would love to come on. I've definitely talked to him recently, so we'll, we'll get we'll awesome. get him on ASAP. But hey, thank you to, Sick. Th- to thanks to you for listening. Thanks to everyone who supports our Patreon. Uh, if you haven't subscribed uh, on whatever podcatcher you use, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe, please. It's the currency that podcasters yep. like. Tell people about us. Check out our uh, official sponsor LVAC. Check out our unofficial sponsor Rough Cut, uh, and uh, you know. Just be cool, and we'll be cool to you, man. Yeah, man. We love you. All right. Thanks for listening. Episode 106, Dunzo. Dunzo. Smoke bomb. You like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. 
My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lohr. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.